Hi, everybody. Can you guys hear me? Is this thing on? Is this thing working? Okay, excellent. Can't really hear it. My eyebrow, as you guys uh, can see, has begun to heal. It just now looks like I have shaved a line in it, which I think is pretty dope. Uh, I believe that's the right word to use there. So, uh, yeah, those of you that, that don't know, I split my eyebrow open right before I preached my last sermon two weeks ago. Uh, I did that with a car seat. Uh, not a child's car seat, but rather my car's seat. Like, I lifted it up into my own face, split my eyebrow open, uh, but it healed really great. Uh, it's always fun taking out stitches. I don't know if you guys are really into that, but I've had so many stitches, and I've seen it done to me so many times that I take out my own stitches, um, and it feels really great to have those out uh, because they were especially long stitches. Uh, she, uh, my doctor was like, I just want to make sure that whenever we take them out, they're easy to get. We don't pluck out your eyebrow hair. Um, and so she did it. She did a great job, and I'm really thankful for her and her efforts there. Um, so uh, today we're going to be continuing our series. And so let me just backtrack really quickly about what we're talking about in First Corinthians, because uh, we are doing a series through the entire uh, letter of First Corinthians. Uh, last week, Josh uh, preached out of First uh, Corinthians 15 and 16, which is all dealing with resurrection. Uh, we were talking about Easter, uh, and before that, we were in one and two which means this week we're in three and four. And from here on out, we're going to go by the chapter, okay? Uh, so no more tricky stuff. Uh, we're not going to keep jumping around on you guys. Uh, today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. Now, it wasn't originally planned that I would be preaching this sermon. We've moved it around quite a bit uh, because of people having to go out of town and that kind of stuff. Um, and after I saw the chapter's contents, I was like, come on, man. Like, you're going to give me this, this sermon? Um, and I, I, I uh, was thinking to myself, like, man, how do I, how do I like soften Paul's words <laughs> in First Corinthians three and four because they are salty. That's the best way I can think to put it. Paul is intentionally sarcastic. He speaks uh, to the church in Corinth uh, from definitely a place of love. But he's also clearly upset at what they've been up to and, and their, their mindset on different things. And the best way I can think uh, to describe how I feel when I read that is I feel personally attacked, <laughs> like when I read it. Um, it's a common misconception that because I can preach passionately about these topics that I myself don't feel challenged by them, that is patentedly untrue. Uh, as I read through this and, and as I thought through this, uh, I felt extremely challenged, um, and it was something that, uh, that caused me uh, to be introspective uh, for no small amount of time about the stuff that, that Paul was, was writing about. Uh, so I'm going to read through uh, just one chapter first. I'm just going to read through. I feel like it's too much all in one. So I'm going to read through one chapter, and then I'm going to preach about two things about that chapter. And then I'm going to read the next chapter and preach about two things about that chapter. That way we can kind of keep it a little bit more uh, on the front of our minds. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 3 in the message. So if you want to follow along, you're welcome to. But if you really want to get shook, then uh, don't follow along. Just hear me. And I'm going to do my very best uh, to channel Paul. And please don't hear me. You're hearing me say this passage. This is not me speaking, although I will try to do it with the same passion I think Paul would have, but I feel incredibly convicted and challenged by it, okay? So please don't hear it as me speaking to you. This is Paul speaking to you, but I also want the full weight of it. 
Because Paul is speaking to the church. Paul is speaking to all churches that would move forward in Christ, and he's speaking to, uh, to, to situations that we find ourselves in as a church as well, too. So I'm going to read it out of the message, and the reason I'm reading it out of the message is because the message, I think, does a good job of not um, uh, making the words that he's using, the actual Greek that he's using, he uses a, like rougher terminology than the NIV makes it. The NIV, like, you know, it'll call it like prostitution. And uh, like in the, in like the uh, if you're reading through like the prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah, it'll be like you've prostituted yourself out. But the word, the Hebrew word that's used there is you are a bunch of whores. That's literally what, the, that way, please go look it up. That's what, that's what the Lord said to his people. And he was not wrong. I think oftentimes we've missed the fact that the scripture is meant to sometimes intentionally offend us because A, it's true, and B, it's supposed to shake us awake from some kind of spiritual slumber that we've been in, where we've bought into the lies of the world because scripture is full of prophecy. If I know anything about prophets, one of the things I know is when they say something and you don't feel convicted, it's probably not because you're great. (laughs) it's most likely because you don't understand or you have a hard heart. And so let these words speak to you from Paul and ask yourself, man, what's true here for me? Okay? And trust me, I'm telling you, please, I want to remind you, I feel very uh, not capable, uh, very uh, ineffectual in my ability to preach from any high point or pedestal. Here's Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3. But for right now, friends, I'm completely frustrated by your unspiritual dealings with each other and with God. You're acting like infants in relation to Christ, capable of nothing much more than nursing at the breast. Well then, I'll nurse you, since you don't seem capable of anything more. As long as you grab for what makes you feel good or makes you look important, are you really much different than a babe at the breast? Content only when everything's going your way? When one of you says, I'm on Paul's side, and another says, I'm for Apollos, aren't you being totally childish? (laughs) 100. (laughs) Who do you think Paul is anyway? Or Apollos for that matter? Servants, both of us, servants who waited on you as you gradually learned to entrust your lives to our mutual master. We each carried out our servant assignment. I planted the seed, Apollos watered the plants, but God made you grow. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who is at the center of this process, but God who makes things grow. Planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimal wages. What makes them worth doing is the God we are serving. You happen to be God's field in which we are working. Or to put it another way, you are God's house. Using the gift God gave me as a good architect, I designed the blueprints. Apollos is putting up the walls. Let each carpenter who comes on the job take care to build on the foundation. Remember, there is only one foundation, the one already laid, Jesus Christ. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Eventually, there is going to be an inspection. If you use cheap or inferior materials, you will be found out. 
The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get by with a thing. If your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your part of the building will be torn out and started over. But you won't be torn out. You'll survive, but just barely. You realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God, and God himself is present in you. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred, and you, remember, are the temple. Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can be wise merely by being relevant. Be God's fool. That's the path to true wisdom. What the world calls smart, God calls stupid. It's written in Scripture. He exposes the hype of the hipsters. The master sees through the smoke screens of the know-it-alls. I don't want to hear any of you bragging about yourself for anyone else. Everything is already yours as a gift. Paul, Apollos, Peter, the world, life, death, the present, the future, all of it is yours. And you are privileged to be in union with Christ, who is in union with God. Okay. Well, man, especially that first part. I don't know how you could read that without feeling like, excuse me? (laughs) Excuse me? That's pretty rough. But Paul's language here is intentionally offensive. And I do believe that we've fashioned the God after our own sensibilities who is not offensive. One of my favorite stories from scripture is one that's really hard to explain to people. It's the story of the Greek Syrophoenician woman that Jesus comes in contact with. It's in Mark. Jesus comes in contact with this woman, and this woman has a child who's possessed. And she comes to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, will you heal my child? Right? And Jesus does not say, yes, yes, I'll heal your child. Do you have faith? Sure, I'll do it. What does he say? Anyone know the story? He, yeah, he says, you don't take the food that's meant for the children and give it to dogs. This was a Gentile woman. Jesus himself was a Jewish man. Jesus says to this woman, you don't take what's meant for the, essentially the children of Israel, namely salvation, miracles, that kind of stuff. You don't take that and give it to a dog, do you? Which is offensive. That's pretty offensive. Jesus is Lord. The Lord just dared to say, I'm here for the Jews, not for the Gentiles right now. I'm not going to do that. The Greek Syrophoenician woman, however, says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the scraps under the children's feet. I love the train. Every time. Yeah, just turn up that mic as loud as you can get it. (laughs) This Gentile woman, who was not a part of the people of God, this is a person that that was was not a a child of, uh, of the Jews, she says to Jesus, yes, Lord, but even the children get to eat scraps from another table. In other words, I like to say, uh, she says, if I'm a dog, then woof, woof. I'll take whatever you're willing to give me. And Jesus says, for such a reply, you can go. Your child's healed. In other words, if she would have been offended and left, 
she would not have received that healing. But because she passed through the offense, David Garland has a wonderful commentary on Mark. If you ever want to read a book devotionally, I highly encourage you guys to read the Gospel of Mark in coordination by this NIVAC commentary by David Garland. If you want to learn a lot and be challenged a lot by a gospel, this is the one, okay? It's really, really good. David Garland said that, that we have to pass through the offense if we really want to know God. Because this is not actually a one-time thing. Jesus does this all the time. Remember the rich young ruler? Sell everything if you want to follow me. Excuse me? You're not asking this? You didn't ask that guy to sell everything. Did this guy sell everything? He said, sell everything. To the people in the boats, stop your jobs. Stop what you're doing right now. Quit it. Leave it immediately, like as in this present moment, and follow me. Right? You begin to realize that actually offense is something that's necessary for us to follow God. Us being offended is what's necessary for us to follow God. I'm sorry, but one of the things I've found regularly to be true is that the truth is offensive to me. Because as a fallen, broken person, I happen to just collect lies in my heart and in my mind about all kinds of different things. But we have to pass through the offense in order to see Christ and in order to see the truth. If I come across accusatory in this, I, I promise you I am not at all. If I'm accusing anyone, I'm accusing myself. I'm not accusing you of, of anything. Paul says later in chapter 4, I don't say this to shame you, but merely to warn you. And I feel the same way. I am passionate about the truth because lies are so deadly to us. And I'm as much in its crosshairs as anybody else. That's a thing. And if I seem upset at any point, it's because we're just in a lot of danger. We're in danger culturally. We're in danger as a church at the capital C. We're in danger with the church in the lowercase c. We're always in danger. We are in a battle. We are in a war, you understand. That's what Paul talks about so regularly. We are fighting something here. We are, Paul says, to contend with the faith. To contend. We are constantly battling. We're battling ourselves. We're battling lies within culture. We're battling the enemy himself who has so much power in this realm. I do want to point out, though, that I am an equal opportunity offender. I'm not towing any one side. I'm not politically driven. I'm not conservative or liberal. I'm just trying to tell gospel truth, and that necessarily offends all of us, depending on where our hearts are. Paul would say that the gospel is a stench to people who are perishing, and it is a pleasant aroma of God to those who are finding life. And likewise, Scripture offends me regularly. I err constantly. Constantly. I often wonder how far out of the center I am, not whether I'm in the center or not. And I'm sure that on occasion, if not regularly, I don't say things the way that I ought to, but I am trying. With God as my witness, I really am trying. I've done my very best to love and serve this church this year. Not failed to give my heart to it. 
and I do love you, so forgive me if I don't always show that well. But there is no group the gospel doesn't challenge and call out as lie-believing and invite into the truth, and usually it's pretty offensive. 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 is no exception to that. So our work today, listen carefully, our work today is to find out the extent to which we've believed in and acted on lies, not whether we have. Understand that. When you read the scripture, the, the, your, your take on scripture cannot be, am I in the right or the wrong? It's how far off kilter am I <laughs> whenever I read scripture? Because I know that I don't look like Christ all the way in any area of my life, but I'm invited to. And not because I should be perfect and have it all together and I need to this, this, that, or the other, but rather I'm invited into union with God. And what Paul is speaking into here is inviting the Corinthian church away from the world and union with the world and into union with God, a marital union with God. When we are baptized in Christ, we are baptized into his death and he puts a ring on our finger. He gives us a white stone, a new name, and says, be in union with me. You are my treasured possession. That's what it's about. So this first chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians 3. Again, I don't have cool points and titles. I just have like, here's what it's talking about. <laughs> That's kind of it. That's what I want. I want to stay true to what it is that Paul's saying. I want to let his agenda rule the day. Not my own. The first thing he's talking about in verses 1 through 9, is simply maturity. He says, you're babies. You're only capable of drinking milk, even though you should drink solid food. And I'll prove to you why you're babies. You're still bickering with each other. I cannot wait for the day when my four-year-old and my three-year-old stop constantly just getting into it. Today there was a yellow jacket on the, on the window of the cat door, okay? My children are on the ladder to the cat door, which is super dangerous. And they're fighting over the wasp and who gets to be on the ladder to see this yellow jacket up close. And I'm like, what the heck? One of them sits on the couch, and then the other one sits like right up on top of the other one, like puts their arm, and then it's just, and then the other one, their arms. If you had sibling, you know what this is like, right? Right? Man, I just, but do you know what, what, what fills up my heart as a parent is seeing them love each other. It's seeing them get along. It's seeing, like, they have a, a cool dynamic. When one of them gets in trouble and the other one isn't, a lot of times one of them will do nice things for the other one. Like it's like kind of like in, or uh, like uh, in spite of me. Like I'm the bad guy for doing it. They're like, don't worry, they're there. I'm like, you got in trouble for hitting her. I was protecting you. The heck, why aren't you bringing a nice thing to me? But Paul is saying like, hey, Corinthians, hey, church, what are you doing? Why do you keep fighting with each other? Doesn't that prove to you that you're just still little kids, little infants? 
You've got all these big problems with the people in your church. You've got all these big problems with the capital C church. Like you can't get along with each other. How the hell are you going to reach the world? That's what Paul says. That's exactly what he says. He just says it in a rougher way than I just did. Immaturity then, I'm just going to say for all these things, what the opposite of it is and then what it is. Immaturity then is just the inability to be at peace with others in the church. It's the inability to be at peace with others. That doesn't mean to accept what they do or act on as, like, that's great. I'm so glad that you believe that lie. Or, that's really great. Thank you for hurting me so much. What I mean is that we act like Jesus in it. When he was persecuted, he blessed. That's what he tells us to do. When others persecute you, bless them. When someone hit him, he turned the other cheek. This is Jesus 101. My heart will sing no other name. I think our hearts have been singing all kinds of names. Not Jesus. But today's standard of maturity is being critical of the church. Which is very different than working to fix things within the church. Because the church is broken. Of course it's broken. The church is a hospital. We're full of people that are completely messed up. We are ill. Like badly ill. So you're surprised to find that there's a bunch of messed up people in the hospital? Did you go to a hospital thinking, I'm going to find some really healthy, like well put together, everyone's doing great. You know what I mean? This is not a country club, it's a hospital, all right? So no surprise that we find a bunch of messed up people, all right? The church has legitimate problems, we need to fix it. But you know what else has legitimate problems? Me, myself, and I. I am messed up. I know more about what's wrong with me than any single one of you in this room. And if you don't about you, that's a problem. That's a problem. We should work to fix the church, but babies bicker. We should work to try to heal and grow one another and ourselves, but it's children that have infighting. Milk is just getting along. And we are still stuck on that sometimes. We're still stuck just trying to get along. But solid food is about kingdom building. It's about what happens out here, not just in here. It's serving other people in love. It's reaching lost sheep. And why the heck would they want to be a part of our community if we all just have a bunch of qualms with each other? Give me a break. Solid food is about self-giving. It's about being self-giving. It's about looking like Christ. Does anyone know Layla from over in Garland? In the New Testament Foundation class that I teach, Layla this week asked, man, like, what does even a mature church look like? Which is a really good question. Do you know what I mean? Like, what would it look like to have just like a really mature church? And I was like, man, off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to mind is that it's a church that is so filled with unity and yet still working to grow in really serious ways, themselves and others. But they're filled, but it's the marker of it is unity and not division. And I didn't know if that was the right answer, so to speak. I just said, I kind of said, hey, this is what it's like. And the reason I know that is because that's what it is that the writers of the epistles, that's what it is I see Jesus saying. Jesus is like, God, whenever he prays for them in John, God, help them to just be unified 
to be one with one another as I am one with you and you are with me and I and them and them and you and the, you and me. And I don't even understand all that. But he says, help them to be that one thing. And then also, I teach that class basically with Rick Watts. If you guys don't know who Rick Watts is, he's a New Testament theologian. Uh, I don't understand what, what possessed this man to join me to teach a New Testament foundations class for a bunch of Texas uh, students. Literally every single week, Rick teaches half the class and I teach half the class. Okay? And um, the students love to test Rick sometimes, or sorry, test me, by asking Rick the same question they asked me an hour ago. And I've encouraged them on it. I'm like, you guys ask Rick, though. I do not, like, I do not want to be responsible for your whole spiritual formation. Please ask Rick. So they asked Rick the same question. Layla did it. She goes, hey, I asked Garrett this question. But, you know, what is the, what's the deal here? And I was so pleased to hear that Rick started, was like, well, it's looking like Christ is the main mark of maturity. And I was like, I should have said that. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good start. He's like, but... The way that that looks, I think, played out is this is a church filled with unity. Not because they all believe the same thing or come from the same place or have the same doctrine, but rather because they love one another, right? That's maturity for us as a church, that we can say, oh, wow, I totally disagree with you on that. And I actually think that like, that might be a, a wrong way to look at it, but I just love you so much. Like, when is dinner? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's so possible, but it's only possible in Christ. In our culture, people who think differently than you are your enemies. You bicker with them on Facebook. By the way, anytime you see a bickering on Facebook, I want you to just get an image in your mind. I'm a baby. You got to believe what I believe. I'm intentionally being sarcastic and crass here because I think that's what Paul is doing. I think that's in Scripture. And that doesn't come from me. It comes from Paul. And I am, as again, I do this. That's why I'm disgusted by it. That's why I can speak at it with such detail and fine detail. I am just as much the culprit. This is not you. This is us. This is us. Sometimes we're just babies. And not all of us. There's no doubt. I'm definitely a bigger baby than a lot of you. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> the next thing Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 3 is all about foundations. I'm going to go quick on this one. That's 3.10 through 23. He talks about foundations and he talks about actually everything that people build and the foundation that you're building on, that's going to get exposed. I always think of expose him. Like that's going to get exposed. What you've been building on. So if you've been building on all the concepts and pretenses of worldly ways of thinking and not on Christ, that's going to get exposed by God. The foundation you build on, Paul says it clearly, is only predicated on one thing if you want a good foundation. And it is Christ and Christ alone is the foundation. Everything you think needs to be rooted in a gospel ethic and exactly on who Jesus is. If it doesn't reflect him, throw it away. Don't use that in your house. But many of us have patched together so many walls. I've patched together so many walls that when I really look at it, I'm like, Jesus isn't anywhere close to this thing. I got this from something else. I got this from this person I heard one time who was not reflecting Jesus in what they said. 
So a weak foundation is about basing faith or ideas in anything other than the foundation of Christ. I'm reminded of Colossians 2.8 where Paul says, Brothers, sisters, don't be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies. But so many of us have been, we're just captive to these hollow, deceptive philosophies. And if I say, show me how that reflects Jesus, show me what scripture says about that, we have nothing to show for it. If it's not built with costly materials, it will not stand. And the only costly materials I know of emanate from the person of Jesus. He's the one that turned this whole world on its head. Let's read 1 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read this one out of the NIV. I think the NIV actually gets it pretty, pretty great here. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Christ. Uh, Christ. I got baby voice going. As servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. (laughs) Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Get ready. Paul Salty 2.0 is about to start. This is all sarcasm, by the way, in case I need to point this out. What he's about to say is very sarcastic. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You've begun to reign. And that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We're brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. 
He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? <sighs> My gosh. I don't know how people can think scripture is boring. This is wild. Paul, by the way, this is scripture. This is God's holy word, and it is chock full of sarcasm just then. Right? And if you go read the prophets, this is not the only place where God utilizes it as a tool. And the tool again, and he has to make sure that he says it at the end, I'm not doing this to shame you. I'm really not. I don't want you experiencing shame. I'm warning you. You are in trouble, is what he's saying. So verses 1 through 13 are talking about humility. That's the third one. We've got maturity, we've got foundations, and this one's humility. Arrogance is thinking you are wise. It's being well-regarded by everyone and status seeking. It's about being comfortable. It's about being impressive. Paul says all that stuff that you're vying for is gross. It's worth nothing. Whatever title that you're hoping to pursue, whatever way you hope people see you, you've missed the point if that's what you're after. That's what he says. Humility is about having those things, the things of being wise, the things of being well-regarded, that kind of stuff. Humility is about having those things taken, taken away because you decide to give your life for others. It's about having those things, the plot, the, the people being impressed with you. It's about having those things taken away because you decide to be a Jesus follower, a truth teller, a kingdom bringer. That's what humility is about. And that's where Paul says that's what real power is. Real power is knowing God and giving of yourself so much to where the world around you considers you of a lesser status. Because you constantly are taking that kind of beating. And then finally, verses 14 through 21 is about correction. You could argue that the whole thing is about correction. You could argue that all of 1 Corinthians is a correction letter. He's like, let me just tell you a couple of things. I've noticed some stuff here. So it's about correction. And we have to own the fact that an uncorrected church, a church that does not correct itself with the word of God and by the spirit of God, is a church bound to fail. It is bound to wallow in division, false teaching, and ultimately ineffectiveness. It's bound to be about nothing. If the enemy can keep us primarily active, only among ourselves trying to get along, then he has no fear we may actually get up and do something in this city. Healthy correction, on the other hand, looks like this letter. It is first full of Jesus-centered truth. It is passionate. It warns us. Keep in mind, it's not meant to shame us. It's meant to warn, warn us. If you can read the scripture and not feel the tinge of conviction, or the sting, maybe a better word, of conviction, then perhaps we're not reading it right, or right, fully understanding what's being said. Correction, healthy correction, stings us, even wounds us. 
but it lights a fire in our bellies and it saves us from mere talk. And it actually makes us powerful with the kind of power that Christ is willing to offer those who through humility and maturity are willing to seek it. I'm going to say a prayer for us and then we're going to have Nicole come up and do the giving. God, thank you so much for your word. Father, I feel very convicted by it. Convicted by the fact that I fall so short of what it is that you've asked us to do, Father, and who you've asked us to be. But God, I know that you are good and that our salvation is not predicated on our goodness, but your goodness. God, I thank you that you have patience for us, even though sometimes we are babies. I pray that you would help our church to grow, Father, to grow up and to mature, to be at peace, to love, to go and serve not just each other, but the the city at large, Father, those around us, that we'd be a passionate church in that regard, that we would take the correction that you spoke through your servant Paul to the church in Corinth, that you would help us to take the necessary correction, Father, and become a church that is mature. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I won't sing again, or hopefully I can hold it together. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I am talking about giving, um, and when I was thinking about this, I was remembering um, when I was in Focus way back when, um, we called it investing in the vision, and I just love this way of phrasing it, um, because when you really believe in something um, and you believe in its value, you'll invest in it. Um, And so I'm just going to give you an example. So I am a wedding photographer. Some of you know. (laughs) Can't talk. I'm editing is what my sweatshirt says. Um, (laughs) I, um, and sometimes there's people who need um, wedding photos and they don't really like care about what they look like um, or that the person really loves their job or like is passionate. Um, and so they're just not really willing to pay very much for photos, which is totally fine, just not something we value. It's okay. Um, it's fine. I'm not mad, but just kidding. Um, and there's some people who really value those photos. They um, really value their photographer, and they value that they have the experience and the creativity and passion, um, and they value it, them as a person, so they're willing just to pay more and invest in that because they see the value in it. Um, And that is the same thing that goes here. When you really believe in something, when you believe that God is doing really cool things and changing lives, and he's giving us the tools and the means to serve this community, then you'll want to invest in that. Um, And I mean, God is the ultimate gift giver, and it's all his money anyways. Um, And he honestly just allows us to be a part of it, which is just a gift itself. It's a gift for us to be able to give and be a part of that. And our church has to pay for um, things like building and paying the staff, um, things like that, but they're also doing so much for the community. Um, And I was remembering when I was in Focus um, one semester, I really needed health insurance, and um, I, like, couldn't be on my parents' health insurance and whatever, all this stuff. And I needed $700 to pay for health insurance for the year, and I didn't have $700. and the church paid for that. Um, and I like had some medical things that I needed and they were just like willing to do that. 
for me. And it was obviously a huge blessing for me to have health insurance that year. And um, so that is just such a neat thing that our church just really cares about. They care about the people in this community and they want to um, help and serve them. Um, so in saying that, it's it's easy to forget, I think, about giving sometimes because right now we're not like passing the basket like we used to. So just not always on the forefront of our mind. Um, and we can do it online, but here's the kicker. You can do it automatically. So you can set up automatic payments if you want, um, or if you know that you can't give consistent, like the same consistent amount each week, um, you can set a reminder on your phone and um, give each week and just don't ignore it like I do for all my reminders. Um, but if you go to dittonnorthchurch.com slash donate, you can set up those automatic payments. Um, or you can go and do it on Venmo at Denton North Church. So I'm just going to pray over our giving. Um, God, you are the ultimate gift giver, and you give really good gifts, and we're just thankful you've allowed us to be a part of that mission. Um, and I pray that our hearts are open and that we prayerfully consider what you're calling us to give in terms of that. And, um, yeah, just thank you for being so good to us. And, uh, um, just for who you are, and we love you. Amen. Thanks, Nicole. We've got a few more announcements, so sit tight. Use the last little bit of energy you have in your brain to not miss this stuff that's going on in our community the next couple weeks. So, uh, firstly, I'll just address my voice is a little hoarse. Don't worry, I'm not sick. I've just been smoking a lot. So, don't worry. Um, so, today, at 1 p.m., there's a men's hangout at 1903 Misty Wood Lane. That's Ryan Plache's house. Where's he at? Um, where there he is. He's hiding right there. But it's a PowerPoint party, okay? Because, you know, men, that's what, what do we get a kick out of more than a PowerPoint, right? So if you did not hear about this, didn't know about it, don't have a PowerPoint ready, it's t totally fine. You can just come, yeah, exactly. You could find one somewhere online and just download it, or you could just come and be an audience member and watch people give these five-minute presentations about who knows what. I heard one of them is about comparing people in our church to characters in a specific TV show and making a case for who's who. That's one of the presentations. I'm gonna give one about something, I'm not gonna tell you. But anyway, if you're a dude, you don't have anything at 1 p.m. today, come on over and enjoy the PowerPoint presentations. I'm sure you'll be very informed, enlightened, enriched by whatever happens there. <laughs> so come hang out. The next thing is that the ladies' seminar is happening, there's a ladies' seminar happening next Saturday from 9.30 to noon at Northeast Church in Garland. Details behind me there. You can sign up with the QR code there. There's also, I think we made our own link at dentonorthchurch.com slash women's seminar. Opal, do you remember where, what it is? Opal's not here. Anyway, okay. It, you can use the QR codes there. Um, it's also in the newsletter. So don't forget about that. And then we also have not announced this in a while, but I thought it'd be helpful to remind you guys that we have a podcast. All the sermons that you hear here and a couple other things occasionally end up on our podcast, which is just at dentonorthchurch.com slash podcast. And it's on literally every podcast app. So you don't have to go just like open a browser and try to listen through your computer and stuff. We are in 2022. We've got the technology. So anyway, 
uh, that's just for to be helpful for you. Um, the next thing, this is something that you have to do something, and we will not move on to the other announcements until we do it. Uh-oh, Angelica's shaking her head. She is like, I'm not doing anything. No one can make me do a thing. So we have a church cookout next Saturday. Yes. From 6 to 8 p.m. And what we need you to do right now, if you're going to come, right now on your phone, go to dentonorthchurch.com slash cookout to RSVP. We uh, have some people who have been slow to RSVP who the numbers are looking like we are expecting a lot more people. We just know from events we've had. But uh, the RSVPs aren't lining up. So it looks, looks like people are, just are not RSVPing. And we want to make sure <laughs> we have enough food and are not surprised by people who are like, ah, they know I'm coming. I'm always at those things. And then 30 of you do that. And then we run out of hot dogs and hamburgers. So that's the most important thing. Do that right now if you have not already RSVP'd. And then the second thing is, yes, Catherine. Um, if you think you might have a friend or two, then go ahead and throw it on the RCP. We're going to have extra food, but we don't want to get, like, either 50 extra or have way too few. Does that make sense? So if you think you might have a friend or two, go ahead and put them on the RCP, even if you're not totally sure. Or if you think maybe two, just put one. I don't know. What's the difference? Something like that. The next thing is that the church, we are going to provide the, like, some of the essential stuff, the meat, so the hot dogs, the hamburgers, the paper plates, napkins, all that stuff, all the, you know, bare bones essentials. And then uh, what we've always done in the past for this kind of stuff is let you guys bring all the other things. If you want to bring some chips, something you really love, you have a, a cookie recipe that you are amazing at cookies, bring some cookies. We need you to sign up and tell us what you're bringing. So all the other sides and extras are going to be provided by you guys, potluck style. Last time we had... So much extra stuff. I think there are about 12 baskets of bread and fish left over after our picnic last year. Um, so you'll, after your RCP, you'll see a link that tells you to go sign up to bring stuff. Um, once you've finished, it should say like, hey, now bring stuff. Click this link. It's also at DentonNorthChurch.com slash bring something. Okay? DentonNorthChurch.com slash bring something. Any other cookout questions? This is the last time we'll have to talk about it before it happens next Saturday. So before we move on, any other cookout questions? Did I hear somebody say, is it, somebody asked, is it going to be fun? Yes, it's going to be really fun. So good question, whoever that was. And now we're going to have McGinty. Will you come up and announce the worship team, Delio? Sign-ups for 2022 uh, summertime. It's years 2022, but the summertime uh, for worship team is open. You're going to go to DentonNorthChurch.com slash worship sign up. Uh, if you are interested in joining worship team for the summer, uh, please do that. Whether that's like you have a weird schedule and maybe you're only like here for like one month, like let us know in that. I believe we made space for that to be there um, in the uh, survey sign up thing. So be sure to put that if you are part of worship team currently and you want to continue to be part of worship team for the summer, still do the sign up. Um, we're going to try to get people who signed up for the spring, but we didn't really get you on a team or anything. We're going to try to give uh, and try to put you on another team. So we'll figure it all out. Um, but you've got this week to sign up and then next week. And then I think after uh, next week, we're probably going to close up signups just so we can start to form uh, those teams up as you all uh, college students that are into finals. Uh, yeah, 
That's all. DentonNorthChurch.com slash worship sign up. DevBot, get on up here. Uh, yeah, we're hosting a pastoral cohort in May, and that's a like a leadership training. Oh, we're hosting the info session for the pastoral cohort in May, and that's a like a training, um, leadership training for the church, and we have classes and we implement what we're learning into our community. Um, and uh, Brad Davis does that, so he still does stuff at this church. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so just any idea some of the things we've done is the mission vision evaluation and the women's book club and all types of things so yeah that's at lion Plochet's house the address is up there and um yeah you don't you're not committing to anything if you come you're just coming if you want to learn more about the cohort and what type of commitments it, it entails so yeah did you have one more i thought you had one more thing yeah This isn't, a first, this isn't a plan thing, but I just want to tell the man to fill out a survey that's on the group me. Um, it's about like a seminar that we're, um, me and Troy planning to host, and somewhere on just know what people want to talk about. So yeah. That's yeah. yeah, that survey's been on the group me, the men's group me for a little while. If you are not in our DNC men's group me, talk to almost any dude who looks real comfortable around here. They could add you to it. Anthony, look at that. Look how comfortable he's looking. Just hanging out. He can add you. I can add you, Devin, anybody. Fill out that, sur that survey. And just a, one more thing about the cohort is it's a, it's a really great way to, wherever you're at in your stage of life, if you're post-college and you're wanting to grow as a leader, it's perfect for you. If you are in your, like, just a couple years out of school, if you are 30-plus, it is perfect for you. There is not a specific age group that's oriented toward. It's a really dynamic, hands-on learning experience for growing as a leader in church ministry. So that's all we've got for you guys today. We can now wrap up the chairs and mingle and stuff. Oh, yes, sir. Okay. Yes. So 1130. Yeah. So basically, when church ends, just go to your car and head to Ryan Plache's house on May 15th and go to that info session if you're interested in just hearing more about the cohort. Is that right? Cool. Sterling, good? Okay, we're good. All right, and go. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.